Amen. You may be seated. You guys beat me to it. I looked up and everybody's sitting down already, so everybody knows what to do here already, don't they? It is so good to be here today worshiping with you. I know I say that every Sunday, but every Sunday I genuinely mean it. And it is a privilege to get to be here in front of you opening God's Word today. And I say that because it really, truly is. And so I hope that we will all be encouraged this morning by God's Word. Um, today is going to be a little bit different than our normal service. Uh, uh, usually, you know, we come up here and everybody listens to me for about an hour and a half, right? Um, walking through the scripture. Grace laughed too hard at that joke. Now I know what Grace really thinks of me. But uh, we're going to be preaching a little bit. Uh, we're going to take a really quick look at Matthew 23 and this parable of the weeds in uh, verse, or chapter 13, verses 24 to 30 and 36 to 43. And then uh, we'll come, uh, Pastor Brown will come. He'll lead us in the Lord's Supper as we take that together. And once we finish the Lord's Supper, uh, we've got a, uh, a little Q&A that myself and our brother Jeffin uh, will be doing at that point. And he's going to just share with us about his experience uh, this past summer um, back in his home country and what that was like spending some time doing evangelism on the ground that I hope will be really encouraging and will be really convicting for us. And hopefully it pairs really nicely with this parable of the weeds and this picture of God's grace that I think is very evident for us um, here today too. So just stick with us. It's a little bit different than normal. I'm going to try and speed it up so we're, so we're done and, and, um, and we can go and have a nice long discussion with Jeff and, and uh, we can hear what his time was like back home this summer. Sound good? Good. All right. You're all here now, so you're captive. You can't go anywhere, right? So you're stuck. So, all right. Today we're going to be going back to Matthew chapter 13. These uh, parables we started digging into last week, these are the parables of the kingdom that Jesus taught, starting in Matthew chapter 13. And we're looking at these because of that phrase that's there on the, on the slide, right? The kingdom of heaven is like. This is a chapter in which Jesus teaches seven parables, uh, most of which he starts out with that phrase saying the kingdom of heaven is like. And we're looking at this because as we move forward into this next phase of life for Faith Baptist Church, I want that word kingdom to become an integral part of who we are, of who our DNA is, and what we say we are as a group of people. Amen? Amen. Because when you're a part of Christ's church, you're not just a part of Faith Baptist Church. You're not just a part of the church down the street. You are a part of Christ's kingdom. He is your king. He is the Lord over your life. He is ruling and reigning right now in your heart today. And that is something as the church uh, here at Faith, I want us to latch onto and grasp hold of because it will change the way we come together to do church. It will change the way we go out into the community to serve and reach the community. And it will change our hearts. And it will change the way that we go out to the world to take the gospel to the nations the way that we're commanded to do, right? So there's a reason why we're focusing on this word kingdom, and there's a reason why after we finish these parables at the end of the month, you're going to be sick of me saying the word kingdom over and over again too, right? I want us to latch onto that word and to that idea that we are in Christ's kingdom now, and he is our king today. With that, let's go ahead and open our Bibles up to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to go uh, to the next section, um, from last week, starting in verse 24, and we're going to read verses 24 to 30. And uh, in this section, Jesus is teaching to a crowd of people. He has uh, two more parables kind of squeezed in the middle, and then in verse 36, the disciples come to him privately and ask him for an explanation again. So that's why there's a, a little separation there today where we're reading two separate passages and not the entire thing through. Next week, we will dig into verses 31 and uh, through 33 
to look at the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven, which I think will give us more insight into the kingdom as well. But Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 24, I'm going to go ahead and read. Please follow along with me. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then you do, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. In verse 36, his disciples come to him, and Matthew records this. Then he, that's Jesus, left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Who has, he who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. I want to start by asking us this question today. What is the greatest act of grace that you have ever seen look like? What is the greatest act of grace you have ever seen? What does that look like? What does that conjure uh, into your mind? I ask that question because we know we have a God who is extremely gracious, right? Outrageously gracious, scandalously gracious, right? He pours out His grace upon people who do not deserve it. And sometimes it doesn't make sense to us all the time, does it? Sometimes it doesn't make sense to see the way God's grace is at work operating in the world today. We see examples of this in Scripture, too. We see God promise Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 that he's going to give his descendants a land to inhabit, that his descendants will have this land and it will be a a land flowing with milk and honey. It will be a, a wonderful place where God's kingdom will be built upon this earth with his people. But God tells Abraham something in Genesis 15. You're not getting it yet, Abraham. Your descendants will have to wait until the fourth generation, he says. And he says, because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. See, the land that Abraham's descendants were going to be occupying, it was already filled with a people, but it was filled with a people who were far from God, who were enemies of God, who rejected God, and who actively practiced horrific, horrible evils that we would look at to this day and would make us all cringe to this moment. But God says, Abraham, you don't get that land yet. There's some time that's going to be involved there. And these people are going to be there for what's going to end up being the next 400 years because their iniquity is not yet complete, Abraham. 
There's going to be time involved. I'm going to be gracious and not wipe them away at this moment like they deserve. We see God's outrageous grace in the story of Jonah, don't we, right? What's the story of Jonah? God sends his prophet Jonah to preach repentance to the people of Nineveh. And these people of Nineveh were horrible to Israel, right? They did horrific, evil things. And what's Jonah's response to God saying, go to these people and preach repentance to them? He says, nah, no, I'm not doing that, God. And Jonah runs the other way, and he ends up dead inside the belly of that fish, in the belly of Sheol, crying out to God, because he was outraged that God would ever consider showing his grace to someone as evil as the Ninevites. Jonah was appalled at this offer of repentance that God was giving them. Of course, we look at our scripture and we have the ultimate picture of grace. We have Jesus himself. We have Jesus who was king in heaven with his father on his throne. And what did he do? Did he stay there? No. He didn't leave us. He didn't forsake us. He didn't despise the shame of the cross. He left heaven born in the most humble of circumstances, living a life as a man perfectly under the law, and ultimately as he stands before his people, the very people he made and set apart for himself in Judah, in Israel, he's put to death as a criminal. And he dies the death of a criminal, not randomly, not by chance, but that is a path he chose to walk, to lay down his life in place of people who were his enemies, who had been separated from him. What did Jesus cry out on the cross? When he's on the cross and he's looking at the people who they crucify him, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The ultimate example of grace in the person and work of Jesus. So when we started this journey last week in chapter 13, I framed that parable as what? As a tale of two kingdoms, right? A tale of two kingdoms is what we said. We have the kingdom of heaven, which King Jesus has come to usher into the world during this time of his first coming, which he is sitting here teaching about, uh, calling people, repent. That's what he says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, where when his ministry began, he came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the message that Jesus get, or that we get from Jesus throughout the stories of the entirety of the gospel narratives. This message that Jesus is here to put an end to the false king of this world, who the Bible describes as a prince of the power of the air. Satan is the one uh, who Satan wants to be the one who all people and all creation bow down to. We see that in the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter four, don't we? When he takes Jesus, that final temptation to high place, and says, bow down before me, son of God. He knows who Jesus is. And he says, bow down before me, and I'll give you everything you see, right? Satan wants to be the one who's worshipped. He wants to be the one who's bowed down to. He wants to be the one who's elevated and lifted on high. This is his desire, and he is a false king of this world because the only one that every knee will bow to is King Jesus. Jesus came into this world bringing his rule and his reign. 
his kingdom, his rule and his reign is his kingdom. And he came to conquer sin and death and the devil. And this parable today teaches us that this kingdom Jesus has come to set up, first and foremost, is truly at hand. It is present before us, right? Some people will talk about the kingdom as if this is this far off thing, this spiritual thing, this end times thing. The kingdom is at hand. You are in the kingdom. You are a part of the kingdom. You are kingdom people. We have been saved from a kingdom of darkness and saved to a kingdom of light, right? We are no longer who we were. We are new creations in Christ. The kingdom is at hand, church, and you are a part of it. This parable, the second thing is it teaches us that God is gracious in ways that may seem outrageous and even scandalous to us, right? Those are the examples we saw in scripture that we talked about just a minute ago. And this parable, third, it teaches us that there, even though the kingdom is present with us now, we are in it, we are pushing it forward, Jesus is using us for his kingdom, there will be a day when the fullness of time comes and the kingdom of Christ will be fully present before us and the enemies of God will be done away with once and for all. And at that time, those who have found their citizenship in this kingdom of heaven through the righteousness of Jesus that has been freely given to him, or freely given to us by his grace, we will get to enjoy the glory of this kingdom forever. That's a good thing, church. It's a good thing. Y'all aren't excited enough about that. This parable before us today in our text, let's kind of dig through the elements of it a little bit here. This is kind of that second point that I've got on the screen where we're going to be looking at the kingdom of God in the present now, right? This parable before us today in the text, it's another agricultural story similar to the parable from last week, but the elements in this parable have a different meaning than the story from last week, right? We said it then that these parables that Jesus teaches are here are not merely moral lessons for us to learn. These are not Aesop's fables where we're supposed to just pull out some sort of morality tale to apply to our life. No, these teachings of Jesus, uh, from what we see here in the very first sentence of verse 24, these parables, in these parables, we see a picture of what? Verse 24, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. That's how Jesus begins in verse 24. The kingdom of, or he, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to... The kingdom of heaven is like... Here in this parable, we have a man who sows, we have a seed that is sown, and we have a field in which that seed is sown. Different from last week, though, we see that there is another one coming into this field, right? And this other one who comes into the field also plants, but he plants weeds. So these are the elements of the parable, right? We have a man who sows, we have a seed that is sown, we have a field that which is sown, but in this, one, this parable here, we have another an enemy who's come into the field to sow something as well, and the seed that this enemy sows, we say, is weeds. Commentaries on this uh, chapter like to point out that the weeds that are described as being sown in the story here are supposed to be Ill illustrative of a certain type of weed. And this weed is called uh, darnel. And this weed, darnel, looks a lot like wheat. When it's in the field and wheat and darnel are growing side by side, it's very hard 
for people to look at that and tell them apart. Darnell is poisonous, though. It's poisonous to people if you eat it, right? And in Rome, there was actually laws against doing this to your neighbor's farm, right? If you were going to take revenge on your neighbor's farm and they found out you planted this type of weed in their farm, you could be arrested and held, held to justice in Rome because of it. Because essentially you're trying to poison your neighbor and poison his foodstuffs, right? Jesus teaches this parable while the crowd is around him again, though, right? He's teaching while this crowd is around him. And after he finishes teaching, uh, as he finishes this teaching, the crowd leaves and his disciples come to him, asking him again to help him understand what the meaning is. And thankfully, for my mind, Jesus gives us the explanation. For the mind of the disciples, too, Jesus gives them this explanation, right? He tells them what these elements are. He tells them that Jesus is the sower. The sower is the Son of Man. This is what he says in, um, in verse... Uh, I lost my place here, sorry. He tells us this in verse 37. The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. Jesus is the sower of the seed here in this parable. The field, Jesus says is the world, and the seed is the sons of the kingdom. And in verses 38 and 39, Jesus tells us again, the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and Jesus says the sower of these weeds is the devil. So if we look at the elements of the parable, the way they fit together, the story, I think, goes somewhat something like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Jesus has come into the world to see sons of the kingdom sprout up across the entirety of the world. Not just one nation, not just one ethnicity, but he comes in fulfillment of the promise to Abraham as the, the offspring that will bring blessing to the nations. This is a kingdom planted and grown by Jesus with nothing that limits its borders or boundaries and is made up of all whose lives are under the rule and reign of its king, Jesus. And even in the middle of this kingdom Jesus has established, there is an enemy of God who comes to try to taint the field. There is an enemy who comes to try to sabotage this worldwide kingdom. There is a, an enemy who comes to try to undermine the rule and reign of Christ. See, in this parable, the servants, they ask the master to gather up the weeds. And the master says what? No. No. He doesn't, he doesn't, or he tells them no because he doesn't want them to rip out any of the wheat. If you pull up the weeds now, you may rip out the wheat. Let them grow together, and at such time, these weeds and the wheat will be cut, and they will be separated, and the weeds will be dealt with by saying they'll be thrown into the fiery furnace, right? The weeds will be dealt with, Jesus says. We have this parable, we have this kingdom that Jesus is building. We have this enemy that's trying to spoil this kingdom, planting these poisonous, fake uh, impersonators that ultimately lead to that final fiery furnace where sin will be dealt with. I think in this story, and we think about the implications of the kingdom of God in the present age, 
I think we see an amazing demonstration of God's grace. We see delayed judgment from God here. Right? We see that throughout Scripture. We see God coming to people and giving them time to repent, time to turn, time to turn back and look away and give up the life that has kept them from Him and to turn back to the Lord. And here is another example of this in this parable. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is present. It is with His people now. And there are weeds that are growing up in it. And what is, uh, what is in the story, what does the Master say? Let the weeds grow. They're going to be dealt with in their time. The weeds that grow, the weeds that come up, they're not immediately condemned. They're not immediately sent off. They're not immediately destroyed. There's time in there for them to grow. And this is amazing, too, because if we look at our own hearts and our own lives, every one of us will recognize that we were probably a weed at some point, too, right? This is what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't just come to do to give us a nice life or a a nice family or comfortable things. Jesus came to take us from being one thing and to make us into something else, something into his image, to take us from being weeds and turning us into wheat. It's a complete change of nature. This is what Jesus did. And God's grace, I think, is demonstrated in this parable in beautiful ways in allowing the weeds to remain and not being swept away when they need to be taken away. That's a dangerous thing to let those weeds grow, right? If we're taking this parable literally, if it was an agricultural thing, you have these poisonous, fake things that look like wheat, and if you accidentally chop some of that down and mix it in with, your, with, your, with the rest of your wheat as you make your bread, what's going to happen to you? You're going to die, right? Get sick. This stuff is poisonous. Why are we messing around with the poison? It's because it's Jesus' to deal with. It's his to clean out. And he's the one who takes weeds, who takes things that are dead and lead to death and destruction, and he makes them new. And he transforms them into something in his image. Amazing picture of God's grace in this parable. There's an amazing picture of God's grace in this parable. We're racing through this too, so normally we'd spend some more time on this, but we've got to get to, um, to the next part of the service too, so... Now stick with me, and we're going to wrap this up here in just a second. I said point two, and this is what we've been speaking about the last few minutes. This is the kingdom of God in the present. The kingdom of God in the present is that Jesus is here. He has established his kingdom. We are a part of that kingdom, and there are weeds that are growing that need to be transformed from being weeds to wheat. And that's the present age in which we live. That is the kingdom here and now in the world. But this, this parable ends... Uh, with this idea that the kingdom of God is to come still as well, right? Jesus has set up his kingdom and intends it to go to the ends of the earth here, but there is a future reality to this kingdom as well. Let me read verses 40 to 43 for you. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. There is a future reality to the kingdom. We read that in Revelation, right? What does it say? Every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more sin. There will be no more death. 
We have that picture here in verse 43. The righteous, what does it say? Will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That light of Jesus, right? We talk, I've preached before, we've talked about um, in Psalm, it talks about, uh, it was, uh, one of the Psalms of Psalm 53, I think it was, it talks about um, the, the bride coming into the court of the king, being given new royal robes, right? This is like us. We're coming in to the presence of God the Father, not dressed in the filthy rags that I'm bringing, dressed in these righteous robes of Christ that he has clothed us in, right? This clothing of the king to stand before God the Father in this, this light and this righteousness. We don't get to do that on our own. We do that because Christ has given that to us. People who are weeds get to enjoy the wheat, the light, and the heat, and the sunshine, and the growth that comes from that light of Christ being given to us. But there's a flip side of that too. And the flip side of that drives us to, uh, in our desire to be kingdom people and what we're doing with the kingdom as well, right? That flip side of that is the wheat will be cut down and the weeds will be cut down and they will be separated at the end of the age. And if you're not in Christ, if he has not covered your sin with his righteousness, there is a fiery furnace, Jesus says where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And God in His grace is giving it to us now, this message to us now, to take this message out into the fields that is the world to tell people about this good news, this grace, that He is coming. He is coming for His harvest. And at that time, He's going to separate the weeds from the wheat. And the weeds don't get to look at Him and say, but look at all these good things I did. Look, I, 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 I bought you know, some coffee for a guy on the street one day, right? Yeah, I mean, I passed him up 50 other times and you know, was mad at him for kind of being on the side of the road with his son. But that one time I bought him a cup of coffee, that was a good thing, right? Our righteousness is filthy rags, and we do everything we can to try to justify ourselves before God with every good work we think we're doing, and we're missing the point. The point is Jesus. The point is his kingdom. The point is his rule and reign in our lives so that we're not no longer trying to work to make ourselves look good to the world, which is just a big fake mask if we're, if we're right at the end of the day, right? If I'm sitting here trying to show you how good I am or you're trying to show me how good you are, it's just a mask. It's just a facade. You don't want me to see what's going on in that mind, do you? You don't want me to know what you thought last night. You don't want to know what I thought last night. You probably wouldn't think I was saved, right? Right? We all wrestle with this. We all struggle with this. We're all being refined by the fire. Um, and Jesus is, is pouring his righteousness out on us and saying, you have been forgiven. You have been redeemed. You are no longer that person. Kill those thoughts. Crucify the, that way you're treating your brother. Crucify that way you're treating your wife or your husband. Love your neighbor the way I've called you to. Not because I'm trying to put on a good face for people, but because I'm a citizen of the kingdom. And that's how we live in Christ's kingdom. It's a future reality. God's grace is amazing. The kingdom of heaven is present among us now to take that grace to the world and for us to enjoy now. But the kingdom of God has a reality to come where we're going to see God's other attributes at work. And it's scary for us to think about now when we're there, we'll see it shine like the sun before us, but we don't want to see anybody 
thrown into the fire. We want to see people enjoying the righteousness and that sunshine as we stand in the presence of God, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's what we want to see that future reality of the kingdom be, right? And that's why we live now like we're in the kingdom because we are in the kingdom, because we want to be in the kingdom with Jesus, enjoying that kingdom forever. This is an amazing parable, I think, of God's grace. A couple quick application points I just want to talk about really quick, and then we're going to go ahead and move on. Uh, we're going to take Lord's Supper together, and then we'll get to spend some time talking to Jeff. And... You can click the next slide for me, guys. Yeah, that'd be great. Two things I just want us to think about as we kind of uh, chew on this parable going forward. Number one, we don't get to separate the wheat and the weeds. Who does Jesus say uh, comes to separate these things at the end of the age? The angels. That's who he says comes to separate these things at the end of the age. See, the, the, the desire for us in our sinful flesh would be, all right, well, we're the wheat, they're the weeds, let's figure this out and let's cut everybody off, right? And let's separate it out. That's our flesh, right? We want to be self-righteous and we want to say, yeah, we got it figured out, we're good. We don't figure out who the wheat and the weeds are. We take the message with us, right? We grow, the fruit comes off of us as wheat growing in the field. It falls off and it starts to plant in other places and it spreads and it supernaturally does point number two. Point number two is we want to see weeds turned into wheat. The heart of God, he says, I do not rejoice in the death of the wicked. God's not just up there happily just laughing and playing like the Greek, you know, the Greek gods. If people are familiar with like Greek mythology, right? The Greek gods were tricksters. They liked messing with people and just saying, hey, what if I poke this guy this way and what happens? You know, and they laugh and they play and that's the way Greeks viewed their pantheon of gods. That is not God. God is just and righteous. He is perfect. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. That is who our God is, right? He's not up there uh, asking us to just sit there and, and have pride because we're the weeds or we're the wheat and the weeds are out there and, and just gather together and laugh at them as they're off in destruction. No, God's heart is that weeds are taken, transformed, made new, turned into something completely different. We hit at this already a little bit earlier, but in John chapter 3, we have the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the middle of the night, saying to him, you're surely a teacher sent from God because look at the miracles you're doing. You know, Nicodemus is looking for salvation from Jesus in this moment. And what does Jesus tell Nicodemus that he needs? This man who is a religious leader, this man who knows the law, this man who's probably well known for keeping the law, what does Jesus tell Nicodemus he needs? You need to be born again. You need to be born again. You need a new nature, Nicodemus. You need to be different from who you were before because those works of the law are dead works. I'm here to bring life. You need to be born again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul repeats this same idea when he says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. The weeds have passed away and the wheat has come. It's the reality of the kingdom that we live in today, right? This tale of two kingdoms, this theme kind of uh, continues to press on through Matthew 13 that we talked about last week. Jesus' kingdom, where he plants a seed and the wheat grows and it spreads throughout the entire of the earth, and then you've got this evil one who's coming that's trying to poison this and kill this and put it down because he's the one who wants to be worshipped. 
He's the one who wants to be at the heart of all things here. He's the one trying to elevate his false, dying kingdom because he knows his time is up. That's the reality of the kingdom. God's grace is amazing, and it is here and present for everyone who, ha- who hears. Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. His grace is here and present for you. If you're watching online later sometime, his grace is present for you. Turn to Christ. Leave that kingdom behind that you've been a part of your entire life and embrace the joy and the hope of Jesus and living in his kingdom right now. That's the reality of the kingdom. That at the end of this, Jesus wins. And his kingdom will be seen in its fullness by everyone. And he will separate out who are his and who are not. And we're going to see that pile of who are his as big as it possibly can be. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity to dig into your word. I just pray that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would move right now uh, through what was said, through what was here, through what was present, God. There's so much to dig into uh, in this parable, in this passage. There's so much to think about, so many implications that we didn't even really deal with today, Father. And I just pray that, uh, Lord, let community groups be a time for us after this service to be able to dig into this and think about some of those things and to be able to encourage one another as we wrestle with some of those things. But God, ultimately, Lord, it's your Holy Spirit just come to bear on our lives so that, Lord, we truly are people of your kingdom. God, let us remember where our citizenship is held. Lord, let us, uh, let us look at that passport daily when the enemy comes to steal and destroy and to kill and to rob us of our joy and to, to make us feel like we're just that same old dead person. Let us pull out that passport and let us see the righteousness of Christ stamped on that so that we know we are no longer weeds, but we have been made wheat. And we don't deserve to be the wheat, but God, it's, it's your good seed, it's your good plant, and it's your good work that has done that. So thank you for your son, Jesus, who has done all of this not for uh, just because of me, Lord, but for your good pleasure. And thank you, Lord, that we get to benefit from that and we get to glorify you now from that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Invite to 